Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 130. As we have been making our approach to the celebration of Christmas, we have been reading some of the uh, songs of ascents, these psalms that people would have sung on their approach to celebrate various holidays in uh, Jerusalem. And so this morning, Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And Lord, as we continue to make our approach, as we have lit the fourth candle of Advent, we know we are so close. And yet we are still looking forward to what is to come. Lord, we pray that you would continue to shape us by your word and by your spirit, that we would continue in our approach to you coming again, that we would continue looking forward to what is to come. And Lord, because of what we have already received, we would be those most eager and most uh, ready to be shaped as the people of your kingdom as we look forward to what is yet to come. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And then turning to our New Testament reading from Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, we have a parable of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we are continuing our series in uh, little books of the New Testament. As we approach Christmas, we have been uh, in Second John and Third John and Philemon and now in Titus. And these are books that I'm guessing are uh, not the ones that you're most familiar with. Um, I have heard that people in uh, Bible college or seminary who have to do some sort of a paper on a particular book of the Bible become quite familiar with these because they're the shortest, so they're the easiest to, uh, to kind of cover. But other than that, we kind of tend to miss them just because of their size. And one of the things that we have been noting each week as we approach Christmas is uh, the ways in which it's easy to overlook things that are very important. And so... Uh, Often, size is something that gets something overlooked. And so one of the things that we, um, we sing each year at Christmas time is, O little town of Bethlehem, a town that was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's not that far away, but it's small. It is uh, one of those places that seems like you could easily overlook it, and yet... It is the location for things that happen in multiple books of the Bible. Bethlehem is, in fact, the, uh, the location and the setting for the whole book of Ruth. So you go back to your Old Testament, you are looking at the story of uh, Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, and what all takes place, it's Bethlehem. This little town, who would have thought? And it's because of what happens there that then David, who comes from that family is born in Bethlehem. And it's for that reason that when we get to the Christmas story, everything takes place in Bethlehem because it's from that same line from David. All this to say, that's an awful lot of big, important things that God is doing in a small, often overlooked little town. I think that's one of the reasons why we sing, O Little Town, of Bethlehem. But it's also one of the reasons that we are looking at these little books of the Bible that often get overlooked. And I, for those of you who've been joining in for this so far, I think you have noticed that though they are small, they are in our Bibles for a reason. That God is doing big things through these little books in our lives today. And uh, today is no exception. We have Titus chapter 2. Titus <clears throat> chapter well, before we read, we're looking at Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at the whole thing in overview. And, um, and it comes right in the middle of this book. This is kind of uh, some of the heart of the book, uh, although we're going to leave some more of the heart for Thursday night at the Christmas Eve service. But this is a book where, t uh, where Paul is writing to Titus. Titus, who he has left in Crete, on the island of Crete, to go around, as we talked about last week, to go around 
and uh, appoint elders at the various churches. So they have appointed uh, or they've planted these churches, but there's maybe not such good leadership in these churches. And where there is not good leadership, that doesn't mean there is no leadership. (laughs) It means there will be somebody else who steps in to fill that leadership void. And what Paul is saying is, no, you need good leaders in these churches. And what it means to be a good leader in the church is to be a good follower of Jesus. And so that's kind of what we looked at last week is what uh, Titus is supposed to be doing as far as appointing these elders, what kind of people he's looking for. And it's people who are maturing in Jesus and who are following him well. And he says, those are the people to appoint because there are others in the church and around the church who are up to something totally different. And that is disrupting uh, these households. It is causing problems all over the place. And so, uh, even among people who claim to know God. So now we get to chapter 2. And he says, so here's what you're going to teach in, uh, that's different than what is being claimed by others. And so we're going to go through uh, what he's to teach and why he's to teach it. And as we do this, I'm going to request that you listen carefully and that you listen patiently. This is a passage that would be really easy to just immediately hear a phrase or a buzzword and think you know what it means and run off a particular direction and just stop listening at all. I would urge patience as we listen to the whole thing and try to understand what is really going on here, not what we imagine might be going on here. All right. Interest peaked. Here we go. This is Titus chapter 2, um, beginning with this distinction between what is being done in and around the area and what Titus is to do. He says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the old men, the older men, to be temperate, worthy of respect, self controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, 
are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. All right. I appreciate you listening carefully and with patience. And if you are listening carefully, you probably already have a few, um, <laughs> a few verses there where you're like, I have a question. <laughs> Does this mean I'm supposed to dot, 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 right? Or... Does this mean so-and-so is supposed to? (laughs) Which may be more likely. And so first I want to go through uh, what this is not. As we see that this is a list where Paul is breaking down for Titus various groups of people and saying, here's what you're to teach to each of these groups of people. And so we go through the older men, and we go through the older women, and we go through the younger women, and we go through the young men. And then we have Titus himself, And then we have slaves. And to each one, Paul is saying, here's what you are to teach, right? These are the things you're to say to these various groups of people. Here's what it's not. This is not an all-inclusive checklist for Titus to follow. Titus is not supposed to now take this, write it all down, and whenever he is with a particular person, be like, oh, you are uh, in this particular category, then here are the things I'm supposed to teach to you. And that's it. Just these things, nothing else. It's not at all what this is. In fact, one of the ways that we know that's not what this is is, for example, one of the ones that may have jumped out at you is um, when talking to the younger women and uh, where they be taught to be subject to their husbands. And everybody goes, well, now, hold on a second. He doesn't say anything to the young men about that, does he? No, he doesn't. And that's one of the ways we know that this is not an all-inclusive list. Because Paul also writes the book of Ephesians, where he talks about the need for husbands and wives to submit to one another. And that the whole idea is that this would be a relationship of mutual submission as they both are submitting to Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. That's one of the ways that we know this is not all-inclusive. But that shouldn't be a problem for us. Because we say, yeah, but, but we've got the book of Ephesians. All Titus has to go on is this. And that's not true. Because Titus actually shows up in several other books because he is someone who had been around Paul quite a bit before Paul leaves him in Crete to do this. If Paul had left Titus in Crete with nothing but this letter, Titus does not have a whole lot to go on. If Paul has left Titus in Crete with all the teaching that he has been giving for years and this letter, (laughs) he's got plenty to go on. And I think the second is more likely the case. That this is not an all-inclusive list of things for each category of person to do and not to do. But what this is, is a reminder to Titus that the gospel, two things, that the gospel is for everybody. Older men, older women, younger women, young men. Titus himself, slaves. Doesn't matter. However you divide up the categories, the gospel is for everybody. 
I think that is the main point here. And the secondary point is that it is for everybody and it will produce change in everybody. That we all have uh, desires and urges of things that we want to do or things that we want to say that are not in line with the gospel. And so what uh, Paul is reminding Titus is whatever age category, whatever gender category, whatever uh, socioeconomic status you're in, whether you are slave or free or male or female, this is kind of stuff he talks about in other places as well. The gospel comes to all of us, rescuing us out of what we have been in Adam and making us into new people in Christ. This is the message, and it's the message for all people. Now, am I just making this up? Let's see the second part of this passage again. This is starting in verse 11. Here's how Paul explains why he's doing, or yeah, why he's telling Titus these things. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Whatever way you divide it up, to all people. And what does it do? Does it just meet us where we are and leave us there? No. He says in verse 12, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. This is what Paul's purpose is in telling Titus these things. And if you look at it with that in mind, then uh, hopefully it makes sense that this is not just a, a, an all-inclusive list of things for Paul to teach to each category of people. But that this is kind of an overview and a reminder for Titus that the gospel is for all people and it is for all people to be rescued out of, redeemed from the wickedness and actually brought into a whole new way of life. And especially when you consider that what came before this passage is uh, that there are people who are causing problems in all these households. It was, um, it says they must be silenced, is verse 11 of chapter 1. It says they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So one of the things that's happening in Crete and in the churches in Crete is you have people going around saying and doing things that are stirring up trouble, stirring up problems within the church, within these various households. And what, Titus is, or what Paul is saying to Titus is that is not a way of sharing the truth of the gospel. It's not a way of advancing the message of Christ in anything. And all it's doing is stirring up trouble and driving people away from Jesus. And so he says, here's what you're to do. And now if you think with that in mind, that it's for all people, that we are to be 
uh, for all people to be rescued out of the wickedness and the, the natural inclination uh, to these kinds of ways and actually to be brought into a whole new kingdom, one of following Jesus that leads to peace in every relationship that we have and that leads to not going out and uh, stirring up trouble and problems everywhere we go, but actually one that is leading to seeking ways of bringing healing into relationships, to actually having, taking responsibility for the responsibility that we have and doing our part uh, to promote godly living in every area of our life. When we have it in that mind, have that in mind, and then read through this list, it doesn't raise much problem at all, does it? If we come at this as modern-day individualist Americans who have me first and my freedom above all else, and we read this passage, we say, how restrictive and oppressive and terrible. I want no part of it. If we read this as people who understand that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to bring us into a whole new way of being, who uh, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, if we understand that, if we have received the grace of God in our lives through Jesus, we read this same passage, and instead of saying, that is terrible, I want no part of it, We say, I see. I see where I need to make a change, personally. Anytime a passage like this is used to tell other people to um, stay in line in some sort of abusive system, some sort of abusive relationship, and say, well, the Bible says you just need to suck it up and take it? That is misapplying what this is talking about. But when we understand that it is, that what it is saying is uh, that those who have received Jesus can live a different way even within uh, the systems of this world, even within uh, the relationships of this world that are broken, we can live in a way that promotes healing that promotes restoration, that promotes wholeness in the people who have received it, but also in the people around us. That is what Paul is talking about to Titus in Crete. That is one of the reasons this is in our Bibles, because it's a message for us as well. That as Paul says, The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is what we celebrate every Christmas. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What does that salvation look like when it's lived out in relationships? What does that salvation look like when it teaches us, whether we are older men or older women, younger women, young men, 
slaves free, Titus himself, what does it look like when it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Are we eager to do what is good? Do we know that we live at a time where the darkness is passing away, the darkness of night is passing away, the light of the morning light has dawned, and we know the sun will be up soon? Are we living in that light and eagerly awaiting the day to come? We looked at a parable earlier uh, that had to do with those who received the invitation but didn't come to the wedding banquet. And then there was one who uh, did come but wasn't dressed properly. Like, what in the world is that about? This really... uh, Is that really the thing? That it all comes down to wardrobe? My clothes aren't fancy enough? God doesn't love me? No. This is a way of demonstrating those who have, um, or a way of talking about those who have actually responded to the invitation and those who haven't actually responded to the invitation. This is a guy who shows up, but he has not been changed. And yes, in that uh, way of talking about it, it's clothes, but clothes actually gets talked about throughout the New Testament as meaning something different than just clothes. Here is uh, Paul in uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read it. So since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Receiving the grace of God into our lives is grace. It is not based on what we have done. It is a free gift. But receiving this grace into our lives understands that we have been uh, redeemed. We have been bought at a price. And so Paul says in another place, 1 Corinthians, Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The things that we do ought to reflect the people who have received this grace. If we understand that we have been saved not only from our sin, but have been saved for good things, the doing good in this world, we've been invited to participate in the life of this kingdom, then we take off the old self as the old clothes, and we put on the new self, in Christ. This is what Paul is telling Titus, reminding him the gospel is for everybody. However you divide up people in this world, the gospel is for everybody. But it is a, it is a gospel, it is good news for everybody as it saves us out of our natural inclinations to things that are not good. <laughs> the things that are brokenness in ourselves and causing more brokenness in the lives and relationships of the people around us. And it actually brings us into a new way of life, a new kingdom, the new Lord, and one who leads us in what is good for us and for all around us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the, uh, the invitation. We thank you for the grace that you have given us that has appeared in Jesus. And Lord, as we look forward um, to him coming again, help us not to miss what we are to be doing now as those... Um, who have received him into our lives. Lord, help us to be good ambassadors, representatives of our king in all that we do. Lord, help us to quickly repent when we fall short, to turn back to you again, and to continue following Jesus. Lord, help us to be those who promote healing and wholeness, peace, restoration in a world that is full of brokenness, hatred, division. Lord, show us your way. 
Help us to encourage one another along this way and empower us by your spirit to live this way. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.